go for it. You know, don't don't take a, don't be hesitant to to give it a shot. Uh, and worst case, you fail. And what you learn when you fail is that life is not over. You just you, you move on. You pick things up, and then you're that much more prepared for that next opportunity whenever it may present itself. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I've got my friend Josh Johnston on the podcast, CEO and co-founder at Trayaway. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Steve, I really appreciate the invite. Excited to connect with you again and, and so excited to also see about your, your journey and your venture and everything you're up to. So thank you. Well, let's get in it with you, Josh. So we start every podcast with what was your first job in hospitality? Yeah, so my very first job uh, was at the Crescent City Grill in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, as a as a server. Um, it's a New Orleans inspired kind of Southern cuisine restaurant, uh, about ninety minutes off the Gulf Coast. So lots of incredible fresh seafood. Um, it actually is owned by uh, someone named Robert St. John. He's actually a pretty fairly prominent restaurateur, uh, kind of around the South. He's got quite a few restaurant concepts, and yeah, I, I didn't know it at the time because I'd never worked in hospitality. But it was actually an incredible establishment to work for great food, great service, a great leadership team. And um, yeah, so that was kind of the, the first place I really got exposed to hospitality. But um, if it's okay, I'll, I'll actually share a little bit of a, a backstory and just kind of explain how I ended up getting into that first job. Um, I was actually born in the South as well. Um, for anyone listening outside the U.S., that's you know Southern United States, but mostly in Louisiana, blessed with an incredible family, amazing parents and sisters. Um, like most kids, played a lot of sports, uh, but maybe unlike a lot of people, I was also just kind of naturally drawn to business. So literally in grade school growing up, I was always starting small endeavors, you know, trying to make a little extra money here and there. What were you doing? What were you hustling? Basketball cards? That's what I was doing. You know, I, I, I did, I, I collected basketball cards. I didn't sell any. Um, I, I did, uh, one venture was buying wholesale candy from a you know, wholesale company riding around the neighborhood, reselling it. Um, I actually started a, a club at one of my schools and deemed myself the treasurer. So everyone was expected to give me their dues and then I would disperse uh, the funds each recess to, to buy candy and snacks. Um, so quite a few things that maybe, uh, you know, probably shouldn't mention today. But yeah, kind of fast forward uh, at 15 years old, uh, my father unfortunately passed away very unexpectedly uh, after a short battle with cancer. Um, obviously very devastating for my family. And, you know, at this time I was in my second year of high school and, and just kind of decided to hang up sports. It just kind of didn't feel uh, passionate about that anymore. Uh, and instead uh, started pouring all of my energy into working. So uh, that summer I, I worked in a warehouse. I saved up enough money to actually start a, a glass repair business. And so my last uh, two years of high school, I was actually working for myself, making about 50 to $75 an hour, uh, owning a small business. So wow. that's a quick little backstory up through high school, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. So you're doing, you're saying, Glass repair? Like, what, what, what does that even mean in high school? I'm trying to figure that out. Great question. So, yeah, more specifically, like windshield repair. Uh, so, imagine, yeah, the small little chips that you'd have, like in a car window. Uh, I would go out, fix those for individuals, and then build their insurance company. Got um, it. Was able to make a nice little income throughout high school. It's good. All right. So, what happened? How'd you get into serving them? Yeah. So, you know, after high school, went on to college uh, for my family. Uh, that thankfully was the natural progression. But unlike the natural progression, after my second year, 
um, I decided to finan- um, start a financial company and I actually dropped out of school. And I mean, I was so excited. I was ready to take over the world uh, at 19 years old. And, you know, fast forward uh, about two years, it was an incredible experience, but it was also an incredibly painful experience. Uh, I woke up about two years later at the age of 21. I unfortunately at that point had a mound of debt and, and I finally honestly had to look in the mirror to myself and just say, look, this isn't working. And, you know, I guess for lack of better terms, I had certainly failed at that point. And so, you know, at 21 years old, I'm looking around, literally everyone I grew up with was graduating college, starting their career, excited about life. And, and to be honest, Steve, I was, I was pretty miserable. I was a little depressed. I was kind of clueless uh, about what I was going to do next. And, and that's, Thankfully, I was able to dust myself off, and, and then that's when I got that job at that first restaurant, the Crescent City Grill, uh, basically for nothing else to just start paying off some debt that I put in. So, yeah, that's what led me to that first role. Man, you know, that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing that story because a lot of people need to hear that, especially where we get to where you're at now. But it's, it's that entrepreneur itch, I'm sure, always stuck with you as you were kind of serving. Did, or were you kind of cool once you started serving? Like, oh, I don't want to get back into my owning my own business anytime soon. It was such a painful experience that I was not ready to get back into it anytime soon. I mean, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do, but I also knew, and take a breath. You're 21, stop trying to accomplish so much so quick. You know, give yourself time to breathe and, and kind of figure things out. And so, um, you know, that's when I really honestly fell in love with, with the restaurant business, obviously the hospitality business, um, just the, the fast-paced environment, running around, you know, with an energetic team, serving people. There was actually something really incredible that happened to me during that was, you know, like I said, that those two years was really rough. And then when you find yourself working a double 10, 12 hours a day in a fast paced environment, like a restaurant, you know, you don't have time to think. And so you, you kind of forget about all your personal problems because you're so focused on serving others and making sure they're happy and they're enjoying themselves. And so, you know, I didn't really think of it that way at the time, but in hindsight, it was kind of a therapeutic experience, which in turn also, uh, you know, added to my love for the industry. Um, yeah. So that's, that was kind of that first role there at that restaurant. Well, that's great. So you're at that restaurant, you're there about three and a half years, but then you join a company that I'd say most envy. You join the Four Seasons. How did that transition come going from, you know, a, a restaurant in the South to joining the Four Seasons and joining at one of their, one of their nicest properties? Yeah. So um, how it came about, uh, the summer before my senior year of college, I uh, actually did an internship at a restaurant called Seagars Prime Steaks and Seafood. Uh, it's a New York style steakhouse. It's actually located in the Hilton in Sandestin Beach in Florida. Uh, amazing experience, uh, incredible menu, lots of tableside service, Chateaubriand tableside, Bananas Fosters, things like that. Uh, I remember just because it was such a new world, I didn't understand at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Beluga Caviar uh, was an appetizer on the menu for $350 an ounce. So it was a, a great eye-opening experience in the world of hospitality. Uh, but yeah, that summer made a great connection. Uh, amazing friend now called uh, named Adam Olin. And while I was finishing my senior college, he had started a career with Four Seasons. So as I was graduating, he reached out and basically recruited me out to the Four Seasons Jackson Hole. That's awesome. And so what was that like? That's a whole different world. I've been to Jackson Hole. And so that there isn't all that much there. What was that like going out west coming from the south? You know, the, the first thing that hit me was after living on the beach for two summers, you know, in, in incredibly warm, amazing beach weather to Jackson, Wyoming, which at the time I didn't even know where that was, but come to find out it's a 10 hour drive north to Denver, Colorado. So, I mean, my first winter there, I, I remember specifically one night, it got down to negative 35 degrees. Uh, that, that season was almost a record season with about 650 inches of snow. So just from a personal kind of, uh, experience, it was such a, such a change for sure. Uh, and then not only that, but you know, they call it a hole for a reason. It's literally the town of Jackson surrounded by mountains. So, um, you know, Later on in life, you know, hearing people in the industry, they talk about going to places like Bora Bora and you get a little bit of island fever because you're just kind of, you're stuck on that island. Uh, Jackson Hole can, can feel like that after a little while because you're in such a remote location, but it's such a beautiful place at the same time. So what was it like starting there? Because you had worked at some restaurants and now you're joining, you know, arguably one of the premier hotel companies. What was your first kind of thoughts? Because you joined as a supervisor and you start working your way up. What was that, that vibe when you got there? Yeah. So, uh, actually even before I became a supervisor, uh, so I went through the interview process and they really gave me two options. Um, they said, look, we have a, a manager and training program, uh, which we think you'd you know, be a potentially great fit for, uh, but we're not sure which property you'd end up at, or, uh, I know you were interested in Jackson hole. So if, you're, if you really want that location, we could hire you as a bartender, but if you work really hard, if you do a good job, you may have the opportunity to move up from there. And so, um, it's already kind of, you know, pot committed to that location at that point. And so, 
decided to, to take the chance and said, look, let me, let me, you know, start as a bartender. And if I work really hard, I believe I can make something happen. And so I started in their, their lobby lounge, uh, which this hotel, uh, which you'd been there, so you may be aware it's right at the base of the ski mountain. It kind of wraps around the ski slopes. And so it was an incredible opera ski sushi lounge, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so every afternoon when everyone's done skiing, they would, you know, barge into the lounge, uh, we'd serve amazing cocktails, fresh sushi flowing six nights a week. We also had live music five days a week. Um, yeah, so it was an incredible introduction to the four seasons culture and experience. Uh, and thankfully that sure enough, after about nine or 10 months, uh, I had done a pretty decent job apparently. So I was promoted to supervisor of the lounge and also the pool environment. So that is a question I want to make sure I, I ask you, cause you know, you have a lot of people on the team that get stuck and they never get a chance to become that supervisor. Was that something you went after or they came to you cause they saw how hard you worked? Um, I definitely raised my hand and, and it made sure that it was clear that that was, you know, I wasn't there just to bartend and make money. I was there to hopefully start a career with a company and I wanted to turn into a long-term, you know, growth opportunity. So I definitely made that clear from the start. Um, and, you know, and I think, uh, you know, interesting that you asked this after my first winter season, um, the director at the time came to me, he's like, look, um, you know, we think you'd be great out at the pool, uh, pool deck for the summer. And he said, but here's the thing. We don't have a supervisor position, but you could be the bartender, uh, but you're almost going to have like supervisory responsibilities. And then the other catch was, he's like, but you're going to make about half as much money. And so, uh, <laughs> I was kind of taking a leap of faith. Number one, I didn't really have, I needed, you know, Jackson Hole is an incredibly expensive place to live. So taking a 50% pay cut, uh, wasn't going to be an easy task. Uh, and I was taking a leap of faith that at his word that, Hey, if I go and do this, that, you know, come, come the following winter, that hopefully there would be a supervisor position opened. And so, you know, I, I felt good about it. And so I did it, obviously, um, I ended up having to get, um, a part-backing job downtown just to make extra cash three nights a week, um, just to kind of stay afloat that summer. Uh, and, and again, in, in the belief that I was on the right track and that, you know, they would, they would honor kind of the agreement that we had talked about. And sure enough, the following winter, I was promoted to supervisor, which was great. I love it. Now I want to get to the next level because this is also usually a big jump for people. So then you're in Jackson Hole, you're doing good because you keep moving up. So now they make you assistant manager in that hotel. Was that something, again, did they ask you or did you raise your hand and, and kind of make it known, this is what I want to start doing? Um, it was definitely uh, raising my hand. I think all along the way, you know, they, they knew my intentions, but I also knew it's, you know, it's about raising your hands when it's appropriate, but honestly, just showing up every day and doing an amazing job. You know, I knew that um, your, your work and your efforts are going to speak for itself. Um, and so, you know, none of the promotions I ever got was about an interview. You know, if they actually had to interview people, then maybe it was more of a formality or a process. Generally, they already knew a few months in advance, hey, this position is going to open. Who are we expecting to roll into it? And, and so I just made sure I kept my head down and did as good of a job as I could. That's awesome. So you're there. And then I want you to kind of give me this journey that you have through four seasons. So I know you do task force, you get to travel around, you know, give me that story to where you get to director of restaurants. Yeah. So that's definitely one amazing thing about Jackson hole, which I definitely enjoyed was uh, incredibly seasonal. So every winter, every summer, very, very busy, every spring and fall, uh, dead, even like so quiet that the hotel would generally close two to three weeks out of the year during those times. And so what that generally meant for the staff was either extended vacation, which was always uh, appreciated and needed after a busy season, uh, but also had the opportunity to go and help out at other hotels. So I actually went to Four Seasons Philadelphia for seven weeks. Um, I ran what was then the famous kind of fountain restaurant, a very old school classic restaurant. Um, it's now actually closed. I'm sure you, you may be aware of that Four Seasons Philly closed and they've reopened a brand new Four Seasons Philadelphia. Uh, but had an incredible seven week experience there. Um, actually went down to Miami. So I was in your neck of the woods and married. Nice. Yeah. Uh, worked at the four seasons only for a month, but it was an mm-hmm. amazing month. Uh, very exciting month to say the least. Uh, I oversaw just all of the, the food and beverage operations in the evening. So literally after about 6 PM, I was the only food and beverage manager on property doing the restaurant and the bar, you know, until the wee hours in the morning. Uh, and then also another interesting opportunity popped up is I moved to, to St. Saint, Saint Louis to, to help out the four seasons. Uh, but this go around, it was actually for about five months. So I moved there for an entire summer, uh, actually got an apartment downtown and I could work to walk to work every day and basically helped open up their pool operation. And then also kind of supported all the evening operations at that, that beautiful property. So when you're going around, are they finding you a place to live or you're, you're responsible to find your own place to live? So with the, with the Philadelphia seven weeks and then four seasons, uh, Miami for a month, I, I lived in the hotel in both those scenarios. So, you know, pretty common, you get a per diem every day for room service, um, you know, to, to eat and so forth. 
Uh, with St. Louis, it was definitely a different arrangement. Like because Jackson Hole is so seasonal, they said, look, for the summer, you're just no longer going to be technically an employee of Jackson Hole, but they're only going to need you for five months. So the expectation is that I would come back to Jackson Hole um, the following fall slash winter. Um, so in that example, uh, or in that scenario, I did end up, you know, finding an apartment, kind of researching it online. Um, that was actually the first time you gotta remember this is back in, uh, this was probably 2010, 2011. So it was my first time, um, researching apartments online and then finding out that they do a good job of not exactly putting the full truth online. So, uh, this was in the early days of, of how real estate started to evolve. So, uh, nonetheless, great experience. Um, yeah, at that summer. That's awesome. And then you find kind of like your home base, right? You end up getting into to Dallas, Texas, right? And so how did that happen? Yeah. So after that summer in, in St. Louis, I did go back to, to Jackson Hole for one final season. Um, and after being an assistant manager for about a year, I had already been promoted to, to department head in Jackson Hole. Um, so I was running what they called the Peak Restaurant at the time. I think today now maybe it's called the Handlebar. Yeah. So four years total in Jackson Hole. Uh, I was dating my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and was looking just for kind of that next exciting change, uh, but still with four seasons and a great opportunity in Dallas, Texas opened up, which was, you know, about five hours from where I grew up. Um, yeah, so interviewed for a restaurant manager position on their club side and was very excited to kind of make my first big full-time transition with the four seasons company. And so what was that like? Cause once, you know, you're kind of traveling, you were, you know, seasonal, now you're a manager at an established year round hotel. Was that a big difference for you or were you kind of used to being in the hotel and it was normal, same thing? You know, it's interesting the way you asked that. I would say it was a big difference, but there was another factor I didn't anticipate that was even a greater difference. And, and so I'll, I'll kind of highlight that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you do get to Boulder Jackson Hole where you work incredibly hard, you know, like any other hotel, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, you know, sometimes generally six days a week, depending on, you know, which part of the season. But you do that for about five months and then you take a breath and then you take two, three, four weeks off and you come back refreshed and you do it all over again. As you know, in most city hotels, you just do that 12 months out of the year. Uh, but the other thing was I, I took on a restaurant on what's called the club side. So the Four Seasons Dallas actually has a huge private membership component to, the, to that resort. Uh, it's a golf membership, tennis membership, and a fitness club membership. And so the restaurant I ran technically was off limits to hotel guests. It wow. was basically like running a country club, but, but branded by four seasons. And so, um, going into it, you know, I thought, man, I'm so good with the families that come, they're only in the resort for a few days and I get to know them and their likes, the preferences. If these people come in every day, every week, it's going to be simple. You know, you just learn what they like, what they don't <laughs> like, and just cater to that. And it's going to be a breeze. Um, <laughs> what I didn't learn, what I didn't anticipate was, you know what, there's just some people in life that aren't too happy and, and they tend to, to spill it out onto the people that they're around it. Unlike hotel guests, they never check out. They just keep showing up day after day. Yep. So that was uh, a, a great growing and learning experience, but uh, really enjoyed my time running that restaurant. Yeah. That members is tough. Josh, the soup is too salty today, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> if only you knew. Yeah, exactly. But good. So you continue to grow there though. So give me the rundown through Dallas. Yeah, so it was in the club side running that restaurant and it was a restaurant, but it also had a pool, another small restaurant. So I was overseeing quite a bit, not just a single restaurant. Uh, we would do member events. So it have to, almost like banquets, I'd have to kind of plan some small events for the members, things like that. Uh, but after about a year and a half, I uh, had the opportunity to take over uh, in-room dining on the hotel side uh, for, for the hotel. Um, and so for those people, obviously, are, that are working in hotels that then understand in-room dining, a uh, little bit of context because it's different at every property. Uh, the Four Seasons Dallas is 431 rooms. Uh, at the time, it was actually the largest Four Seasons in the U.S. Uh, but in addition to that, about 40% of the rooms are actually spread out in these villas out along the golf course. So, you know, your, your typical room service operation, the staff, you know, pushes the trolley onto the elevator, they head upstairs, and then they deliver it on the floors. At this resort, uh, you go downstairs into the basement, you put all the food into like a golf cart with an enclosed bed, you drive the cart about half a mile out to the villas, and then you would set up the trolley and finally deliver the meal. So, uh, you well, know, this added a, a nice fun level of complexity, uh, to my first in-room dining operation. Yeah, that's tough, especially on those resorts. And then if you forget something, you got to run all the way back. That is definitely a challenge. Exactly. Yeah. Bad weather, raining, uh, people don't seem to understand why lightning is a threat to your staff and you can't deliver. So, uh, lots of exciting things like that. 
Well, you listen, you keep growing, you keep moving up the ranks and you get to director of restaurants at the Dallas Four Seasons. And what was that experience like? So that's really a big jump because now you're overseeing a lot more people, really the face of the food and beverage other than the director of food and beverage. What was that like for you? Yeah, it, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, I was really in some ways doing part of that role before the actual promotion came into be. So um, on the hotel side at that time, there wasn't a director of food and beverage. There was a, an assistant director. They reported directly to the hotel manager. Uh, and then while I was running in-room dining, my assistant director went out on maternity leave for a few months. And so mm -hmm. they, they all looked to me to be essentially the food and beverage director, uh, just without the title. And, and so thankfully, uh, I guess in hindsight, apparently I did a decent job of during that, those couple of months I was given, uh, the four seasons manager, of the quarter award, you know, which was pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And so then that led to the, the formal, uh, promotion to director of restaurants a few months later. Uh, which I continue to oversee the interim dining and the mini bar departments. Uh, but I also took on the, the signature restaurant. Uh, there's also two lounges or bars at that hotel. So kind of a lobby lounge and then a late night bar. Uh, so it was a really great experience to kind of expand and, and just recognize how, how you need to be so many places at once, but you really, at that point, just have to rely on, you know, your supervisors and assistant managers and making sure that they're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, I think that's really the first time in your journey where you're overseeing multiple departments. And I know for me, that was, I moved up quick in my career and that was where I first faced like major challenges being a leader. Was there stuff like that that you saw like, wow, this is a lot bigger challenge than I expected? Um, yeah, I, I won't sugarcoat it. And I will say there was definitely certain challenges. Um, if I really had to kind of think back really that entire year or so, our, our that hotel went through a huge transition. And, and so I definitely experienced some challenges, but it was challenges almost for everyone property wide. Um, the hotel went through an ownership buyout. Um, so new ownership came in, um, long story short, I'll, I'll try to save the details, but basically management across the board, uh, was trimmed back pretty significantly. Uh, labor standards across the board were trimmed back very significantly. Uh, so everyone on property was trying to do, you know, more with less, uh, you know, property wide. So, uh, there were definitely some challenges I encountered, but I wasn't alone. Everyone on property was kind of facing the same challenges simultaneously. Uh, so yeah, we just did our best, uh, with what we had and, and kind of, you know, pushed forward. Yeah, it just makes it stressful. I had to go through that one. We'll say which hotel, I forget which one, but this company, Car Carpedia came in and started cutting back all of our standards <laughs> and cutting back on our people so you could do things faster and better and just made things much harder. I don't know if that was the same for you. <laughs> so I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to mention specifically, but, but it wasn't Carpedia. Ah, uh, Carpedia out there. So, uh, yeah, so Carpedia came in, we did the, I'm sure it's similar to what he did. It's a 15 week timeline, you know, and it's kind of sold on, here's all the exciting things we're going to help you do to make your operation better. And then, you know, unknowingly exactly on the front end is you're essentially committing to cutting your labor standards in half. Anyway, not to go into too much detail. Yeah, there, sorry. We went through the pain. We both went through the pain. And when I asked them like, how many hotels you worked in? <laughs> they said none. I was like, ah, oh, Carpedia got us. But, uh, anyhow, sorry, not a commercial for Carpedia out there, but <laughs> back on your journey, Josh, you know, uh, you would do something a little bit different. Cause usually I see four seasons, people never leave. Right. They're there 20, 25 years. You can go on LinkedIn and see all these four seasons lifers, but you make a change, you know, what, what came up? Yeah. So, I mean, I was there, I guess almost eight and a half years. So yeah. I definitely feel like, you know, I was pretty loyal to the brand. Uh, but honestly, I was just ready for a change. Uh, you know, growing up in the South where my family's from and the people that I grew up with, it's actually, I'm um, very unusual for people to venture out. I mean, most people that I grew up with, went to the two colleges that were within, you know, 30 minute drive and they, they have families and they grow up in those same communities. So, uh, for someone like myself to, to leave that and to end up at Jack's Cole and all these different cities, um, you know, it was clearly something I wanted to do and is exciting. Uh, but that's still part of me, that Southern hospitality, that Southern family culture was still in me. And so I was excited to take my experience a little bit closer to home. I didn't want to move back exactly where I'd grown up, but I wanted to be within, you know, a few hours driving distance of family and, uh, my girlfriend became my wife while I was in Dallas. And so, um, she actually was also from Louisiana. So we, we actually grew up together, um, nice. but ended up started dating later in life. And, and so we had both talked about, um, you know, eventually moving back to new Orleans. Um, neither of us were from new Orleans, but we grew up visiting the city, loving the city. It was close enough to family, but still, you know, an exciting enough location that there was plenty to do. And so, yeah, just decided for personal reasons for the first time, you know, to, to kind of um, carve out a new chapter and I w had no clue what that was going to look like, but we wanted to plant our flag in New Orleans and, and kind of figure it out from there. That's awesome. So you end up joining Hilton hotels and resorts, right? In the hard New Orleans. And yeah. 
Yep. You know, what was that? You know, not the interview process, but you start there and it's very different, I'm sure, than Four Seasons or maybe tell me it's not, right? Because I've changed hotel companies and there's a lot of similarities in some and then others are like, whoa, that's, I'm not used to doing it that way. What was it like for you after leaving Four Seasons and joining Hilton? I mean, there's no question it was very, very different, um, but I absolutely, you know, loved the Hilton culture, the Hilton family. Uh, I really enjoyed, I was there for two years, not to jump too far ahead, but yep. uh, I, I couldn't speak enough about the Hilton brand. I really enjoyed that time. And, uh, you know, naturally after being a director of restaurants, uh, with four seasons, with all that experience, I thought surely I could probably get a director of food and beverage role somewhere in new Orleans, you know? So I just started applying for a few positions that I saw online, uh, and did get an interview, uh, with the Hilton New Orleans Riverside It was uh, the largest hotel in the city, 1600 rooms. So, you know, four times the size of any four seasons I'd ever worked out. But I do remember it kind of like it was yesterday, uh, the hotel manager scheduled an interview. Um, his name was Hermes Del Rio, uh, the hotel manager at the time, an amazing individual. Uh, yeah, so he gave me a call and early into the, the chat that we were having, he said, look, I noticed that your resume is lacking a little bit of banquet experience. And I say, well, you know, you're right. Uh, it's kind of my weakest area. You know, I've helped out banquet some, but I've never been a director of banquets, never been a manager in that department. And he said, well, look, here's the deal. Uh, we have 120,000 square feet of banquet space. Uh, we have, we do around 30 to $40 million a year in banquet revenue. So let me just ask you, if you were me, would you hire someone for this role with no banquet experience? And so it was the easiest question to answer. I was like, nope. Like, he's like, okay, good. So we're on the same page. Uh, but look, here's why I was very interested in speaking with you. Uh, we've actually carved out a brand new role that's going to be called operations training manager. Uh, this person's office is actually in the executive office. They're going to report directly to me. And basically what we need this person to do is, you know, simply have the goal of help us analyze and improve every department on property, starting with food and beverage. Uh, and he, I remember him saying something along the lines of, you know, with your eight years of foreseeing experience, I think you might be a perfect fit for this role. So it certainly was not something I was looking for. Uh, you know, I wasn't setting out to kind of leave the day-to-day -day operations of food and beverage, but it, you know, just, it's an opportunity that presented itself. And so after really careful consideration, yeah, I decided to take on that role. That's a very different role. Right. Cause I know going from ops and really leading the team and grinding every day, then getting into training, what was that like for you? It, it was an incredibly different role. Um, and, and the only slight understanding I had going into it, um, there's an amazing lady named Linda Fryett. She was essentially the training manager at Four Seasons Dallas. And so um, she was actually based out of human resources, but she would be very involved in the operation. She would come and shadow us and she introduced things like standard testing around the property. And so. I had a kind of a loose idea of how this might work after kind of just seeing her interesting role through that time, because so it kind of excited me to still be involved in food and beverage, but, uh, be a little bit more in the strategic planning and a little bit less, you know, hands off a little bit less on the hands, the day-to-day, -day, uh, operations. And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, it, I was excited to, to go into it and, you know, I was thinking about it before we hopped on this chat. It, I think there will never be a two week onboarding experience. Like I had with that role at that company. Um, so I wanted to mention that to you. So my first two weeks at Hilton Riverside, uh, thanks to Hermes, what the first week he literally said, all I want you to do is be a guest. So obviously I was living in the hotel, which is pretty normal, but for the entire week, I had one responsibility, which was to go dine in every meal, uh, every outlet, three meals a day, order room service, go to the restaurant, go to the bar. Uh, but obviously document every single step of my experience. So every day I'd, I'd be at those different places, my laptop, taking notes. Uh, sending emails to the hotel manager about my experience and any, you know, observations that I had that maybe we can work on. Uh, and then my second week uh, was basically like an episode uh, of Undercover Boss. Uh, <laughs> basically, their their signature restaurant is called Drago's. Uh, it does about $13 million a year. So I think it's like the second or third busiest restaurant it's in all of it. Yeah, it's a very busy place. And so I showed up on a Monday, basically in a server uniform, uh, ready for new hire training. So no one actually knew I was a manager on property. I was literally just one of a few new servers that showed up to train in the restaurants. So I went through an entire week of new hire server training. I literally had to study the menu, take tests, uh, sh shadow my server around the restaurant. And then by that Friday night, I actually had a small section serving my own tables. Um, and then the following Monday. Um, I kind of came back in a suit and, and introduced myself again. And so it was, it was a really unique experience to go through. Wow. Well, I can only imagine like, uh, the team, like, oh man, did we say anything wrong or did we do something? And was it like that? Or were they like, oh, it's you. I know you. 
thankfully I'm, I'm a pretty down to earth and, and a genuinely nice person. So uh, there was nothing malicious about it. I certainly didn't have any malicious intent. I wasn't trying to get anyone in trouble by, you know, being involved in server conversations, even though they, they didn't realize a manager was there. So uh, definitely, uh, there was nothing like that that came of it. Um, uh, and then the guy that trained me, his name's Jerry, uh, I believe he's still working there, but you know, going forward, I'd see him once or twice a week and he, there was just that unique smile because it would just be like, man, I can't believe that happened. You know? So it was just kind of a fun joke. I uh, all year too. See your servant skills came in, came in handy. See, I was a terrible server. I get in the weeds after two or three tables. So they would have found me out quick. <laughs> you know? I, I remember, uh, literally detailing a table. One of those nights, um, you know, at this restaurant, when you're doing 13 in a year, it's, it's, it's kind of a casual atmosphere very, very high volume. And, but I coming from four seasons, you know, you're supposed to crumb the tables and, and tidy it up. And so I remember working around the table, making sure it was crumb picking, you know, just making sure it was meticulous. And, and I remember them saying, look, we come here all the time. Uh, we anyway, sorry, but yeah, uh, that's good. I like it. So like, we've never seen this before. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, they were just kind of almost perplexed by what I was doing. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a fun experience for sure. No, I like that. But is this a Monday through Friday job that you now have? this operations and training manager? It, it, it ended up being so, yeah. So Monday through Friday, kind of working hours, you know, eight to five, uh, wasn't required to work holidays, weekends, uh, things like that. So without question, you know, going from eight and a half years, as, as you understand in operations where you're there at five 30 in the morning, you're leaving at two, 3 AM. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was definitely a change. It, it was interesting and kind of exciting change for personal reasons, obviously, but, but definitely a change in that regard. So. This is where I start coming. Cause when you start having those weekends off, you got some time to think, you got some time to think of ideas. Is that where, you know, the next step of our journey comes that entrepreneurial itch starts to come that you're thinking of this new, uh, new company that you want to start. You know, I, I never really thought about it like that, but I think it, it can, it has to have been right. So, you know, all of a sudden my, my brain was able to relax a little bit more than it had the previous years. Um, I was able to think a little bit more strategically and honestly. You know, again, my whole role at that property was to start in one department, spend a couple months and do a deep dive, identify problems, help create solutions, implement them, and then also improve, improve the, the training plans as well. So I was literally there to be like a think tank, like, you know, really observe this, this department, you know, understand all the, the things that aren't working well and then how can we overcome them as a team? And so uh, I just got in that problem solving, sorry, problem solving mindset. Um, you know, and during that journey, it, you know, one of the problems that it kind of reared its ugly head was dirty room service tray sitting in the hotel hallways for too long. So, um, it was definitely a pain point that popped up and, uh, we, we tried to solve it internally. Uh, they had a, a software system, uh, that was in existence at the hotel at that time for housekeeping and engineering. We tried to tailor that software to, to solve the dirty tray challenge, but we weren't able to do it effectively. And, uh, yeah, so then honestly, I was still working at the Hilton became determined that I'm going to solve this problem. Like I was tired of hearing the, you know, not just the hotel executives there, but it just became obvious that this was a, a challenge for every property I'd ever worked at. You know, it didn't matter which city, uh, city property, beach resort, what have you, um, to some degree, dirty room service trays in the hotel hallway, uh, was an, it was a problem, you know, to some extent. And so I, I started just researching like crazy and online and actually found one company uh, I reached out to them they had a very interesting technology specifically for, uh, tracking and monitoring room service trace. So I reached out to them. I was like, great, we're going to, we're going to purchase this. We're going to implement it. And then I was just going to move on to the next challenge. Uh, but there was a little bit of a twist. Um, they sent me a quote for $96,000. Uh, and then it was going to be ongoing, like $15,000 a year in annual fees. It was about a four to five month timeline. They're going to have to fly out to the hotel, implement all of this um, these hubs into the hallways and sensors. And I honestly almost fell out of my chair. I was like, there's no way I'm going to my G GM and saying, Hey, you know, I've solved the dirty trade challenge. It's just going to cost us about a hundred thousand dollars. What do you think? Like I clearly yeah. never had Man, to fire Josh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do we renovate the ballroom or do we take care of the trays? Like that's not a, a realistic conversation. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, you know, came across that, that challenge, uh, during that journey for sure. All right. So you have this itch in your brain, you know, I've, I think a lot of people are there where they have this idea and I, I think I could do this, right? But you continue on thinking about this. So that's really what I, I want to dig into a little bit is how you created this company, Treyway. How did that start? Because you have this job, you have the problem. A lot of people say, all right, well, I can't do anything about it, but it stuck with you. How did you start building this company up? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing I did um, is actually reached out to a really good friend of mine. Um, he's named Will Lovett. He's, he's a co-founder of the company uh, and just kind of explained the problem to him. He was the best computer programmer I knew, right? So first and foremost, I knew it was going to be technology related. And so we just kind of started chatting uh, late nights, weekends, and, and it was really more of a passion project to say, you know, here's the parameters uh, of what we think would work and, and how can we potentially create something uh, in that regard. And so uh, you know, part of that conversation was uh, me taking a step back and, and honestly just doing a deep dive into, you know, why is this a problem? I mean, in the big scheme of things, it's such a silly, simple problem, but nonetheless, it's a problem. And it's not about, you know, most hotel GMs aren't sitting in their office right now being concerned really about that tray on the 14th floor. It's, you know, this afternoon when that negative comment comes in from TripAdvisor or a medallion, you know, feedback comes in. And then people are complaining about something so simple as dirty trays. That's when the problem, you know, really kind of starts to frustrate people. And so I, I first and foremost just started to think, well, why is this a challenge? And, and really what I figured out was, at least my belief, is that it simply boils down to a few simple outdated procedures. A uh, couple of quick examples, you know, on the front end, even today, a lot of hotels will still deliver a tray to a guest, uh, maybe provide like a small paper tent card saying, hey, call us when you're done. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is uh, that did work once upon a time, you know, like, but nowadays uh, people have changed. Uh, most people don't like to make phone calls anymore, uh, at least not from a landline telephone for the purpose of tray retrieval. Uh, another simple outdated procedure that I thought through was, uh, you know, the famous callback. I think some hotels maybe are still holding on to that, that process these days. But, uh, you know, the idea of the callback is, hey, about one hour after delivery, let's just call the guests. We'll ask them, you know, how was your meal? Are you ready for tray retrieval? And Again, this did work once upon a time. It, at one point, it was considered a very high level of service. But honestly, today, uh, most people don't want to be bothered. You know, most people want to be left alone. Uh, they'd rather sit and kind of relax in the room versus having someone, you know, call them on the landline phone. Uh, and then in that discovery process as well, on the back end, uh, what I found was most hotels were still using pen and paper, spreadsheets, whiteboards to try to track and manage all the activity throughout the hotel. And so when you think about, you know, this is back in 2017 and 18. Almost everything in the world is automated. There's technology touching almost every portion of business, except in-room dining in 99% of hotels around the world. It's literally pen and paper for the most part. And so, uh, you know, and it, it seems simple, but as everyone that's worked in operations knows, you got the morning shift, the evening shift, the next day, uh, it can be a really tedious process for the team to stay on top of all, all the tray activity happening around the property. So that, that's really when I started to peel the enemy back when I understood like, you know, okay, well, what is the problem? And then we started to decipher, well, how can we solve the front end and back end challenges? So is it you and your friend, Will, William or Will? Will. Oh, yeah. Will. So you and your friend, Will, you're talking about it. Like, man, I know there's a problem here. We could figure it out together. How do you start to, you, you do the research. What are the next steps? Because there's a big jump of, I have this idea and I think I have some solutions to like, I'm quitting my job and starting a company. <laughs> For sure. So, you know. There's a thing called product market fit. And, and I didn't even know that statement. Like, I didn't know what that was uh, when this all started. But come to find out, like, that's where I started. I just didn't know it was called that. So I literally just thought about all my experience with hotels and I started with the budget. Okay, clearly you can't send a quote for, to someone for $96,000 and think that that's a realistic solution. So I started, I started with the price point that I thought would work within hotel budgets. Um, I knew that I was not interested in creating any kind of capital expenditure. I didn't want a 12 to 18 month sales cycle. I wanted to be something that would be literally affordable. In the most cases, like a few hundred bucks a month, it could be squeezed into the operations budget, um, you know, make a decision within a few weeks. Um, so we started with kind of the price point and the budget that I thought would work for hotels. And then we thought, well, you know, every hotel in the world, no matter where it's located has Wi-Fi, right? Every guest checks in, they need Wi-Fi. And so I thought, well, what if the solution could be built around Wi-Fi capabilities? So that was kind of one stepping stone there. Uh, and then in addition, two other kind of factors were it's got to be incredibly simple to implement. Like, don't get me wrong. I'd love to, to fly to Bora Bora and to Australia and, uh, you know, all the different beautiful places that we now support hotels in. But I knew from a budgeting standpoint, again, that hotels would not want to really incur that cost for this type of product. So uh, we wanted to figure out a way to implement remotely anywhere in the world. And so it needs to be able to, you know, be done in multiple countries, but from our home office here in New Orleans. Uh, and then the very last piece of the puzzle that I really thought through was, uh, I worked, you know, side by side with so many room service servers, especially in Dallas. Uh, most of them were, you know, kind of middle-aged. Uh, they've been doing this role for 10, sometimes 20 years. They weren't necessarily the most tech savvy individuals. So I thought, 
know, however our software is structured on the back end, it's got to be so user-friendly. It's got to be so intuitive that they really love it. It makes their, their day a little bit better. It makes their shift a little bit smoother. And I knew if we, if we didn't really focus heavily on that, then, you know, the servers aren't enjoying it, well, they're going to stop using it. And then obviously there's not going to be an opportunity for success on both sides. So uh, those are kind of the parameters we started with from a functionality and from a, a costing standpoint. And so you got, you got everything you need, because those are all great points, right? If we were sketching out the issue, you figure it out, but it's one thing to have it. Now you say, all right, we're going to create a, how did you get that's next step? This is what it needs to look like. Yeah. So the, the one magic question, uh, will ask me one day was, Hey, do you think people would click a button? <laughs> I, said, I have no idea, but I'm so excited to find out. Uh, and, and so basically that was the, the one mystery piece of the puzzle that we needed to figure out is uh, there's, uh, there was some technology that was kind of new to the market. It's called internet of things devices. Uh, we found some that were Wi-Fi, you know, enabled. And, and so we knew that those could connect to hotel Wi-Fi. And then we thought we could build, you know, basically a system around, uh, potentially a guest or housekeeping, clicking a button. Uh, but the question was, would they do that? Right. And so we did a little bit of, uh, beta testing and I mean a very little bit, and it was enough for me to say, yes, they will like, let's do this, let's move forward. Um, and so we basically, how we did that was, uh, we found a manufacturer, uh, to create this physical, you know, small button. It's about two inches by two inches. It goes right on the tray or trolley. And then, uh, so that as far as the guest is concerned, that's, that's all they see. Um, and then on the back end, uh, again, that's why I reached out to Will because he was a, a great computer programmer. So he's the one that started working on, um, you know, the software on the back end. It's what the staff uses on a daily basis. Nice. So are you doing all this while you're still working at the Hilton, like kind of on the weekends and at nights? So everything I just explained. Yeah. It, so it started, uh, first conversation was around March or April of 2017. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to March of 2018. So it was about a 12 month period where it was nights, weekends, passion project thing type of approach. Uh, but by March of 2018, we had a full product, uh, ready to go. Um, so we launched our very first property, March of 2018. Um, that was, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't really make sense, um, to go to every property and to do a live launch. If the hotels want to pay for it. We're happy to do it. Right. Uh, but in this particular case, um, Austin was, you know, a few hours drive from New Orleans. So naturally I, I did do this. Um, so went to the property, um, and was very excited to roll it out. There it was a thousand room hotel, brand new property. Uh, they had never even tested the product. It was a grand opening, but they, they believed in what we were doing after we, you know, explained to them how it was going to work. And so that was kind of our, our kickoff to the company was launching that hotel. Uh, and you know, it was, uh, proof enough to me that I said, all right, let's do this. And so a few weeks later, um, you know, a little bit hesitant, but, but I knew it was the right thing or the thing I wanted to do. So I put in my notice with Hilton and and started to pursue it full time. All right, I'm going to rewind just a little bit for my own curiosity. So you're at the Hilton, you've got now the button that works, finding a thousand room hotel that's going to take you on with no other track record is hard to do. Was it a connection you had? Was it just found you on your website that you had up running? Was it something you sold to somebody? Well, how did you get that very first one? Yeah. So it, the, the first hotel was absolutely a connection. Um, actually, and happy to share his name because he's such an incredible individual, Michael Rodriguez. Um, we worked together at Four Seasons Dallas. So while I was an in-room dining, uh, department head, he was the restaurant department head. So every morning at 6 a.m. we worked side by side. Um, and then fast forward, I had started to work for Hilton. Um, and he actually started working for Fairmont. So it was the big Fairmont Austin, uh, where he had taken on a, a assistant director of food and beverage role. And so I just reached out to him when we were still in very early development. We didn't have a product. We, we didn't have, you know, really a final, uh, manufactured product to show them. Uh, but yeah, just verbally walked him through exactly how it was going to work, how, you know, how intuitive it would be for the team. Michael, uh, put, you know, put me in touch with the F&B director and I basically walked them through a, a presentation of how it was going to work, even though we couldn't technically do beta testing before it opened. And, and they were pleased. They, they were excited. They were looking for something, you know, they didn't want to open the hotel and experiencing that same problem. So, so they were looking for something and, uh, obviously we were only, uh, only viable solution that was about to be on the market anyway. So it worked out well. Man, well, shout out to Michael Rodriguez, because I know how hard it is to sell something into a hotel if you can't say, well, where else is your product? So it's a great first step. So I got back into hotels. So for some of the listeners, I had a company, I sold that company, and then I got back into hotels at the Nobu Hotel, Eden Rock Hotel in Miami Beach, you know, two hotels at one address. And my first challenge was to fix 
the room service department because again, there was trays everywhere and it was in our guest comment scores. So I reached out to you and I remember you were great and you didn't come out. We only talked on the phone and this was before really Zoom was being used at all. So it was all over the phone and I got your product and it worked right away. And that was in 2019. So you're really a year into it. I didn't know it at the time. You were a pretty new company, not even a year old. Yeah, no, I, I remember it. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, honestly, pre-pandemic, uh, almost all of our sales processes were over the phone. Um, you know, I mean, imagine yourself pre-pandemic, like getting very busy food and beverage directors to sit in their office, click on a Zoom link. Like that was uh, not an easy task. It was much easier yeah. to just set a time. Uh, they'd probably be busy doing something else, but just call them directly on their cell phone. And then we would kind of verbally walk through exactly how things would work, obviously uh, on a phone call. And that seemed to work really well. And then, you know, post-pandemic nowadays, uh, uh, everyone's comfortable with Zoom. Obviously, you can screen share and share visuals. And so uh, that's certainly a much better approach nowadays that people are comfortable uh, with that process. Uh, and so for listeners, I'll do the infomercial for Josh, but I've loved using it. Um, it's really easy to use, like he said in, in, in explaining it, but anyone can use it and it's easy to start with. And I've used it at the Eden Rock. I've used it at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. I've really enjoyed it as a product. So I give a big shout out to Josh on there. So Josh, what is now coming up? You know, you've got this, you're growing. I've seen it all the time on LinkedIn. You're getting new hotel after new hotel after new hotel. What's on the on the radar now? Yeah. So, uh, and if you don't mind, Steve, just a quick, yeah. about 60 seconds, uh, just the product and how it works for, for maybe anyone that's never heard of it. Um, ultimately, there were those two challenges that I mentioned, right? On the front end, guests don't want to call. They don't want people calling them. And then on the back end, using pen and paper. So ultimately, how we ended up deciding to, to, to solve that was uh, today we provide these small clickable devices, which we already talked about, but uh, our new product is, is typically custom branded. So it'll have the hotel logo, you know, it can say click for retrieval. It can say done dining, question mark, please press, whatever, whatever messaging aligns with the brand standards. Uh, that small device goes right on the tray or trolley. It's delivered with the guest meal. Uh, come to find out, because we didn't know when we started this, on average, about 83% of people will click. So the good news there is the majority of guests do end up clicking the button. Uh, and then the other good news for that 17% that don't, just as easy for housekeeping engineering. So any internal staff sees a dirty tray in a hallway or a guest room, they can click that same button. So it's so much faster than, you know, even housekeeping, picking up the phone and calling. And then the other thing very quickly that I mentioned on the back end is just that incredible user-friendly software platform. So um, today hotels can access it through uh, any desktop computer. They just go to trayway.com or they can download the mobile app on any Apple or Android device. So phone, tablet, touch device, iPad, anything like that. And the beautiful part is for the first time, they know exactly what's happening in the hotel. Like they would know, hey, there's 30 trays upstairs. They know how many are on each floor, what room they're located in, the original delivery time. So it's just amazing for the team to, to know exactly what's happening, where it's happening. And then for the managers, in addition to that, uh, which is obviously helpful, everything is timestamped and tracked for accountability purposes. So every night at midnight, you get an automated email with a recap of all the activity from the previous day. So they know how well their team's performing. It's got all the fine details in case some type of follow-up needs to happen with a particular way. Uh, yeah. So that's the front end and the back end. Just thought I'd highlight that really quickly. Oh, about you, you, yeah. You described it much better than I did. <laughs> so, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm excited to know that you're also developing some new things, you know, just recently, you know, maybe you can touch on that one for 30 seconds, just so everyone can hear the other tools you're building. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, yes, we rolled out, uh, what's called walking in. So the, the most common word in any kitchen in, in America, you walk into it and the chef's yelling out, walking in. So we have walking in digital order. So now, uh, whether it's in a hotel uh, room, so for inner dining, I guess can scan a QR code, uh, but unlike a static menu, this will take them to a web-based digital menu. It's sort of like an Uber Eats or DoorDash experience, except there's no app to download. They don't have to create an account. It's all frictionless. Uh, but right there from their phone or tablet, uh, they can select their menu items, add it to their shopping cart, and then check out. Uh, it can be room charge only. We can handle payment. So it just depends on, on how the hotel wants to handle that. And on the back end, obviously, the, the hotel receives the digital order. Uh, you know, uh, very, very great enhancement to, to a lot of hotels ordering experience, but can also be for beach service, for pool service. So it can be used well outside of, of interim dining. And then we have a third product that we're also really excited about. Uh, it's still in development, so it's, it's not rolled out just yet, but it's going to be all about um, guest feedback and the guest experience and getting real-world feedback on, on your team. So you'll know exactly how your team's performing. Uh, you'll know which employees are doing the best, which ones need the, the, the opportunities to kind of be coaching, you know, coached and trained better. Uh, and so we're really excited about that. It's basically 
going to be similar to our core competency of a IOT kind of internet of things device, uh, but all around feedback uh, from the guest that can be used in a productive manner. Yeah, and I love that it's being built by people who actually worked in hotels in operations at a high level. So I, I think that's really important for listeners. If you're going to bring on technology, bring on the right technology, because if you don't, it usually gives you a headache. So Josh, you know, I want to go back to 21 year old Josh, whose company realized was kind of wasn't at at the time was kind of shutting down. What advice would you give to young Josh in his second year of college if he was starting out today? Yeah. So that second year of college, you know, dropping out of school, starting a business, as painful as that process was, I, I honestly couldn't have imagined my life without going through that. And what I mean by that is, you know, many people want to do something, but they're afraid. What happens if I fail? What, you know, what, what, would, what would that look like or, or how painful might that be? And you end up learning so much and growing so much if you continue to, to obviously uh, move forward. Of course, that's an important part of that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the person I ended up becoming and the, and the, the abilities that I learned through that painful process, uh, it paid dividends year over year, you know, beyond that. So, um, you know, I just say, I would say go for it, you know, don't, don't take, uh, don't be hesitant to, to give it a shot. Uh, and worst case you fail. And what you learn when you fail is that life is not over. You just, you, you move on, you pick things up and then you're that much more prepared for the next opportunity whenever it may present itself. Well, Josh, I think that's uh, some great advice and a great place to end our conversation. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us. I hope you stay safe in that loud storm that we hear brewing <laughs> uh, in, in New Orleans there. But I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. It's such a pleasure to connect with you and, and looking forward to seeing your, your journey as well. Continue. All right. Well, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.